American war heroes from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, Iraq, and Afghanistan. They selflessly served, and these are their stories. America's Veteran Stories with your host, Kim Munson. Hey, welcome to America's Veteran Stories with Kim Munson. The show precipitated from a trip that I took with a a group that took four D-Day veterans back to Normandy in 2016 for the D-Day celebrations. And I'm thrilled to have on the line with me today World War II veteran Donald Ray Cobb. Donald, welcome to the World War II Project. Thank you. Good to be here. Well, it's great to have you here. And uh, you've got quite a story. But let's uh, let's start at the beginning. Where did you grow up, Donald? Well, I uh, grew up <laughs> partly in two or three places. I... I um, I was born in Evansville, and three weeks later, my parents moved to Detroit, Michigan. So uh, when I was five, my father got terminally ill, so we moved back to his uh, parents in Hopkins County, Kentucky, where he passed away. So then we moved over to McLean County, where my mother's parents lived. So that actually is where I grew up and went through all my elementary and high school. And that was, when I was in... five years old, just starting into the Great Depression. Okay, and that was in Kentucky. Yes. Okay. Okay. So uh, going into the the uh, the big uh, depression then, and then um, you know World War II was shortly thereafter. Uh, tell us about how you got into the service. Well, I uh, I graduated from high school a few days after I was seventeen, so. Um, I decided decided not to volunteer at that point. So I, uh, my aunt lived in Detroit, my mother's sister. So uh, I went back up there, and uh, well, I got a job with the Coca-Cola Bottling Company as a file clerk, and took a couple of night classes at uh, in mechanical drawing from Wayne through Wayne State University. And then I got a job with Fisher Body Division of General Motors taking care of the blueprint files for the B-29 bomber, which they were just starting to uh, uh, build a fuselage out of, outside Detroit. So I uh, I went down and talked to the people at the Naval Air Corps at one time and then decided I'd just wait. And uh, so then as soon as I was 18, I was, uh, I was called up, and uh, I took my chances. I wanted to be in the Navy and... Uh, as it went down the line, I was the only one that I heard that had a I had a choice of any one of the three. Everybody else is they were saying army, army. So I was uh, very fortunate, but uh, that's that's when I went in. Okay, and why did you want to be in the Navy? Well, I always liked water for one thing, and I, I didn't like mud, <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, I grew up around water, and uh, I knew how to swim. And the idea of having my bed with me and uh, the food there and all of that was uh, pretty appealing to me. Okay. Where did you go for basic training? Uh, to Great Lakes. Okay. And was that tough? Uh, I thought it was, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it uh, There were a lot of drills and all the, the thing. uh that I hated the most was what I would call duck walking, you know, down as low as you can get on and just walking around like that. And 
anyway, I guess it uh, was good for us, so it didn't uh, didn't hurt me. But uh, the heat, it was in July, and the heat, there was a lot of heat, too. So uh, um, I know one of the, uh, they gave us shots one day, and the next day they had us out standing at attention for quite a while. And I, I heard a thump and looked around, and there was a man laying there still at attention. Wow. <laughs> wow. What year was that, Donald? That was uh, 1943. Okay, 1943. Uh, so where did you go after basic training then? I went to the uh, University of Chicago uh, Navy Radio School, and we lived in the dorms and uh, and uh, had, uh, had the school there. And I was there for five months. And... Uh, uh, I graduated at the top of my class, so uh, uh, a second. Uh, the man that beat me out was uh, had been a had worked as a railroad telegrapher. <laughs> but anyway, they set set me on then to cast uh, to Diamond Island in Casco Bay, Maine, and um, to uh, take some uh, courses well, for a month. And uh, I was with uh, other. Uh, listed men and and officers too, and uh, learning how to uh, to understand the Morse code that the that the German submarines transmitted. They uh, put a few dashes here and there and so forth. So I had to learn how to uh, read that or you know, to you know, to read it, and then uh, also to learn uh, how to operate a radio. High frequency radio direction finder, and uh, what we call HFDF at the time. So then we, uh, I was later on in a crew with uh, three, two other men that uh, we st- stood watches uh, and listened for submarines. Okay, okay. Uh, how did you get then from uh, America over to? Uh, to Europe. When? How did that all happen? After I finished that schooling in uh, in Casco Bay, Maine. Um, after I waited around for just a couple weeks or so, um, I was sent to uh, the Brooklyn Navy Yard and uh, to the USS Murphy, mm-hmm. and uh, I boarded the uh, this Irish named ship. On St. Patrick's Day, nineteen forty-four. <laughs> okay, and you've written a book about this ship, right? Yes, uh-huh. the Lady with the Shamrock. And you just finished it just recently, within the last few years, correct? I published it in uh, uh, two days before my ninety-fourth uh, birthday, April twenty-sixth of this year. Congratulations! And you just recently received an award for it as well. Well, the uh, the uh, nonfiction authors association uh, uh, picked me as uh, author of the week. That is that is really really cool. I didn't have time to get the book yet, but I'm going to get that, Donald, because uh, uh, certainly want to read that. Uh, but uh, why why did you note that the USS Murphy? Why is it the the lady with the shamrock was it good luck, or, or why did you name the book that? We had a big shamrock up on the uh, starboard side of the rear stack, and uh, 
we were uh, well. We were in 1945. We uh, were in an operation. Uh, we went down and uh, picked up the King of Saudi Arabia and brought him back up through the Red Sea to uh, Great Bitter Lake to meet with President Roosevelt. And we had a uh, commodore on board, and he wrote an article later. Uh, uh, called uh, Mission to Mecca. And uh, uh, in that article, he uh, talked quite a bit about the shamrock. So I quoted him at the beginning of the book, and uh, and uh, that's that's why I called it that. Okay. And the USS Murphy was a destroyer, right? Yeah. Yes, it was. Okay. And explain to our listeners, uh, because there's a, a number of novices out there, and of course we have a, a group of people that listen that really, you know, know know what we're talking about as well. But for somebody that may be new to listening to the show, what was a destroyer uh, in World War II? What did they do? What was what? A destroyer. What was their purpose? How big was it? Uh, it was 348 feet long and uh, 30, 38 feet wide, I think it was. Uh, and displaced, uh, fully loaded, 2,245, I believe it was, tons. Okay. Um, but it uh, had a, had a uh, speed of about 37 knots, and it was the purpose was to, uh, uh, mainly to uh, operate and protect uh, merchant ships and convoys, and uh, look keep the submarines and everything away. And of course, it ended up in the invasions like uh, Normandy. We ended up as uh, as also bombarding the beach. Okay. We'll want to talk about that in just a moment. So initially then, were you going back and forth across the Atlantic and, and, and looking for submarines and protecting the convoys going back and forth? Actually, we were not in very many convoys like some of the destroyers. Uh, in fact, when I went aboard the ship, it was still in dry dock, and it had been cut in two in uh, in October of 1943 with a loss of uh, 35, uh, I think it was 35 men. Uh, and they were just finishing it up, uh, building a whole new front half, including the bridge onto the ship. And then, of course, we had to go through some what they call shakedown uh, mm-hmm. cruises to test everything out. And uh, then, in, uh, of course, it was April when I, when I went aboard. And then, uh, I think it was early in May, we uh, went across uh, with a convoy of other destroyers. Uh, just several destroyers. We went across, uh, of course, and we didn't know it, but that was just to have them have us over there for the invasion. Um, and uh, so we went over to Belfast, and then um, we were back and forth in between Belfast and uh, Plymouth and uh, Weymouth and Portland, England, uh, uh, for different reasons, maybe partly to confuse the Germans, I don't know. And before the invasion, we were up in about three different bays up in Scotland, and uh, then on the fifth we came came down around the uh, 
south end of England into the channel and to be in place at 5.30 in the morning on the 6th. Were you anticipating that this was that D-Day was was occurring? Could you feel excitement? I mean, what was going on in your, you know, on your ship at that time? Well, I didn't. I, of course, being over there and everything was going on, uh, I'm sure I knew uh, in the back of my mind that we were there <laughs> to do something, and I. I I you know I wasn't in on any of the planning, so I didn't know uh, about the invasion itself or you know, what what it was going to be. But uh, I guess everybody kind of knew that we were going to be doing something. Uh, but I didn't know exactly what it was until we started heading uh, uh, toward the beaches. Okay. And one of the things that I recently heard was that that the channel had been cleared um, by, of many of the U-boats, which helped enable, you know, um, the Allies to come across the channel. Uh, it, is that true? Had been what? Is that true that, in fact, the channel had been cleared by uh, of a bunch of the German U-boats, and so there was not that significant risk? Well, um, they managed to torpedo some of our ships during the invasion. Okay, okay. And we uh, we had a problem with what they called e-boats, too. They were like uh, like our PT boats. Uh, they were probably worse than the subs. Okay. So what was the day like, uh, D-Day, uh, June 6, 1944? What was that day like? So you said you were in position at 5.30 in the morning. Uh, so what happened? Well, first of all, uh, well, as we went in, while it was still daylight, I saw... Uh, it looked like a big con- floating concrete block. <laughs> it was uh, several miles away. It turned out to be what they call a phoenix. They used it to build the uh, Mulberry ports, uh, temporary ports there at uh, Aramanches and uh, in one of the British areas. Uh, but uh, then, as it got dark, uh, the water was choppy and pretty pretty rough, and it was cold. I had on. I was a radio man, but at general quarters, uh, they can't use all the radio men. Everybody has to be doing something. So um, I was assigned to load, help load the uh, ammunition to the uh, uh, number four five-inch gun mount. So I was out on deck, and I had put on about everything I had in my locker. And uh, it was you know, damp and uh, breezy and... Uh, and it was, of course, in June up far north, mm-hmm. and I was freezing. You know, I was just shivering, and it might have been partly tension, but it was it was cold too. <laughs> and uh, but uh, as we went in, uh, of course, you could see uh, lights from the uh, uh, artillery going off and all that, you know, on shore, and uh, then. Uh, First of all, we went in screening some of the uh, um, minesweepers. Then we uh, uh, we went on in along at Omaha Beach, and uh, we uh, at five thirty everybody started firing. And then uh, part of the time we were assigned to uh, to stay out from some of the larger ships to uh, 
kind of take any torpedoes that might come that way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fortunately, none came, I hope. None came to us, but some of the destroyers, uh, uh, well, one got a bomb down the stack, and, and uh, a couple of them were uh, torpedoed. And one of them that had rescued uh, some of the men when their ship was cut in two when I wasn't on it, uh, that ship struck a mine and uh, eventually sank. That was the Glennon. But uh, part of the time we were, I don't know if you've heard of the uh, Point de Hoc. Yes. Um, part of the time we were real close to Point de Hoc, and we fired a couple of rounds into into there. Uh, but uh, we were so close that uh, uh, I wasn't in a position to see it, but one of the radio men was assigned to a place where he would be, without any binoculars, he could see the men trying to climb the cliff. Oh, my gosh. He said he cried. Oh, my gosh. We, we've got to talk about that. Uh, we're going to go to break, and when we come back, uh, you know, uh, President Reagan, I, I can't remember which anniversary it was of, D, of uh, D-Day, but he gave a, an amazing um, tribute to the boys of Point du Hoc. And I've never talked to anyone that, that actually was so close that uh, you saw somebody that or t- knew somebody that witnessed that. So let's go to break. This is Kim Munson. Uh, this is the World War II Project. I'm talking with World War II veteran Donald Ray Cobb. He just recently has published a book, The Lady with a Shamrock, which is about the Navy destroyer, the USS Murphy. And we're going to go to break, and we'll be right back. Hey, welcome back to America's Veteran Stories with Kim Munson. I am honored to be talking with World War II veteran Donald Ray Cobb. He has just uh, published this book, uh, The Lady with a Shamrock. And he, he completed that at the age of 94, right, Donald? Uh Two days before. Two days before. Started. Okay. <laughs> oh, I, I, that's that's fantastic. And the USS uh, Murphy was a destroyer, and we're talking about Normandy. And uh, going around Point du Hoc is these cliffs that, if I remember right, is in between Normand or in between Omaha Beach and Utah Beach. Am I remembering that correctly? That is correct. Yes. Okay. And the American forces. There were five beaches, right? And uh, that we came in on, and, and the Americans came in on primarily Normandy and Utah. But in between where Point du Hoc is, is there's these cliffs, and up on top of the cliffs were these German uh, German guns. And uh, so it was some of the Army Rangers' duty to go up those cliffs and take out those guns. And so you said one of your colleagues saw the guys going up those cliffs, and my understanding was it was... Um, it was harrowing. It was straight up with the Germans shooting down at them. So what more can you tell us about Point du Hoc? Well, the uh, Rangers were using uh, ropes with, the, uh, I guess you call them grappling hooks. So they would uh, throw them or firing up to a certain point and, you know, and then try to climb the rope. And the Germans would drop grenades on them and, uh, and uh, cut the ropes and... Uh, and uh, it, they lost several men in the process, but they just kept going. And uh, one of the uh, ironic or sad or whatever was when they got to the top, the gun had been moved. Yes, the gun had been moved. Um, 
It's quite a story, though, and uh, to stand there and look down those cliffs, it's it's just astonishing that those guys made it up those cliffs. It's very, very steep. Yeah, very, very high. steep. Very steep. Now, Donald, you've gone back to Normandy for the D-Day celebrations. How many times have you been back? Uh, I've been back uh, uh, four times this next time. will be my second time this year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you've got to uh, go back. I was back. there in 2016. Okay. And um, for the uh, actually for the D-Day uh, uh, ceremonies, and uh, we had a second uh, uh, second division ranger with us. He he didn't climb the cliff, but he uh, was there. <coughs> excuse me, there the next day, and so we uh, did spend some time around uh, Point of Hope, but. Um, you could see that it would have been a terrible place to try to climb with somebody up there shooting down at you and dropping grenades and uh, all of that. Uh, but uh, we went to, uh, of course, Carrington. We went to, uh, uh, I can't remember the name of the place, and uh, we're out in a field, and they had a thousand-man parachute drop over the next field. That was The very, fields of Lafayette, or Lafayette, right? Pardon me? Was it Lafayette? Could have been. Okay. Okay. You were say, did you say you were there in 2016? I was there in 2016, and we were there as well, and I've never seen anything like it. It's this reenactment uh, where they come in. Um, both there's reenactors, and then there's uh, U.S. military that's chosen to come in, and it is, it is, uh, it's, it's an amazing experience to see that. And so I was there. We didn't meet in 2016, well, we were, but I was there. Uh, there were nine of us. They had chairs out in the middle of the field, and we we sat out there and uh, and uh, and watched watched these uh, uh, planes drop the para- men in the parachutes. And uh, a couple of them came over and talked to us later. But uh, that was very interesting and. Uh, uh, of course, we walked through the uh, American Cemetery at Colleyville, Samara, and I think that is one of the things that kind of inspired me to write the book. Um, <clears throat> but I uh, had always been in the back of my mind, well, as a, uh, when I was growing up, going back there, uh, we didn't have any money, but I... And I was about 11 or 12 years old, and I wanted to be a writer. And uh, we we didn't have any money for notebooks and things like that. But uh, what money uh, Mother did have, she would order things from Sears, and uh, they were wrapped in brown paper. And uh, as soon as she unwrapped it, I'd grab that paper and start <laughs> writing on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's quite a story. And here you but, are. Uh, then uh, I, I had become an engineer, and because uh, I like to eat, <laughs> and uh, hadn't thought much about writing until uh, we went over to Normandy, and uh, so I started thinking about it again. And and, and what is the the story in the book? I and mean, we want people to go out and buy it, but what's the big picture about what uh, what the story is in the book? Well, I. Um, Basically, I put everything on the history of the ship. Um, beginning, the first two invasions, I was not on the ship, but I uh, 
I did research and uh, and uh, talked about the uh, those invasions and uh, and brought in. I tried to bring in on the same timeline history that was going on in other areas of the war, like in the Pacific and so forth. So I tried to make it a book where you you would. If you didn't know the history, you would learn some history of the, what was going on in general at the same time. And then uh, the invasions of uh, Normandy and uh, Operation Dragoon, which was the invasion of southern France. I was there. And uh, then uh, the um, what, what we call the uh, cruise of the flying, uh, the, uh, flying carpet. That was where we... Uh, went down and picked up the king of Saudi Arabia and the 48 of his people. They had to make a tent over the forward gun mounts on the destroyer and to have a place for them to sleep. So they found a big chair for the king, and uh, they were on there for two nights. And uh, that was a very interesting uh, cruise, and uh, talked about that. And uh, then uh, when they... <coughs> Then we did some uh, anti-submarine uh, uh, cruising okay. up in the North Atlantic, and uh, then I was touched the uh, well, there were four of us then that we had been in this radio direction finder crew. We were transferred to shore duty, and um, I was I. Spent my last six months on on an island in Puget Sound at a Navy radio station, but the ship went on to the, to the Pacific. But before they got out of San Diego, the war was over. And uh, when they dropped, what I heard that the B-29s dropped the atomic bomb, the first thing I thought of was, "Hey, I worked on that plane." <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, the ship I. I I told a story. I, in fact, I, I had a cop. I have a copy of the ship's log, which helped. So I told a story of the of the ship as it as they as they went on to the uh, to, to uh, uh, Okinawa and uh, Japan, and uh, they led a hospital ship into uh, Nagasaki Harbor and uh, picked up uh, prisoners of war. So. Uh, I tried to bring in everything I could as far as uh, what was going on uh, otherwise. Oh, it sounds fascinating. It really sounds to me like it would be a great book for kids to read to get an understanding of the history. But going back, you, you mentioned there were two invasions that the ship was involved in before you um, boarded the ship. Were the, where were those? Which, which invasions were those? Well, <clears throat> the first two? Yes. Um, was uh, they were at Casablanca, North Africa, and uh, then they were at uh, invasion of Sicily. Interesting. Okay, uh, it, what more about Normandy? I think at the end of the day, at the end of the day of the first day at the Battle of Normandy, what went through your mind? Where were we at? What went through your mind that day? Oh boy, that's been a long time. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I don't know if I could specifically tie it down to the first day, but I know um, I, uh, I you know, we could see the long line of line of landing crafts going in, 
and I uh, sure felt sorry for those men. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, two of the guys that I was with when I went to Normandy were uh, um, landing craft. One was a pilot, and the other was a ramp operator. And and uh, um, they they said that the first day the water was red. It wasn't until the third day the water was pink, and um, that just kind of took my breath away when they said that. Yeah, I imagine so. Yeah. Um, um, go ahead. In May, I was on with uh, 15 other veterans on the uh, Queen Mary II when we went over to England. And um, they had us on stage two, two or three at a time every day. Uh, and they had a, uh, a, his name was Jeremy, who worked for Fox News <clears throat> at a radio station out west somewhere. He would ask us questions. And... Uh, I was on the stage at the same time that uh, one of the men was. It was a uh, he was actually Coast Guard, and uh, something I might have heard, but I didn't it really hadn't really sunk in. But most of the landing craft were manned by the Coast Guard, mm-hmm. and uh, he said said that uh, when they when they first went in there, he his job was to lower the uh, ramp. Mm-hmm. And he said he could hear the machine gun bullets hitting a ramp mm-hmm. at 1,200 rounds a minute. And uh, so he froze because he knew as soon as he lowered it, a bunch of the men would get killed. Mm-hmm. So uh, then he did lower it, and uh, that's actually what happened. A bunch of the men got killed. Mm-hmm. Was that Frank DeVita by any chance? Yes, it was. <laughs> okay. I got to go. He was one of the four veterans that I got to go to Normandy with. And uh, I remember him telling that story as well, that he said that three out of the 30 guys made it to shore. The rest of them perished. Yeah, and, that was fine. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. it uh, certainly takes my breath away. Any other stories about Normandy? And then let's talk about the invasion of southern France, uh, uh, Dragoon. Uh, but anything else about Normandy, Donald? Oh, one night, uh, <laughs> I don't know how important this is, but it was uh, kind of amazing to me. One night, a uh, uh, B-1 bomb went right over us. Um, uh, what was it called? A buzz bomb. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, of course, we hadn't seen anything like that before. You know, the fire coming out the back end and really noisy mm-hmm. headed for England. And we, uh, our, our ship fired at it, but uh, they, they quit firing real quick before they hit some of the other ships. On the 21st, we came back to Portland, England, then on the 25th, we escorted, helped escort three battleships and several destroyers, some heavy cruisers and some other destroyers over to over to Cherbourg. And that's what they call the bombardment of Cherbourg. Oh, okay. And there, uh, they divided us into two groups, and we were in the western group. And with the uh, Nevada, we were screening the Nevada most of the time. But then we went down to uh, and fired a couple of rounds ourselves, and then there were four. I was told there were 280 millimeter German guns opened up on us, and we were under fire for 50 minutes, uh, zigging and zagging, and uh, everything we could do. I was told they had somebody watching with binoculars for flashes. We picked up shrapnel off the deck after it was over, but. Uh, 
They didn't hit us. They hit the destroyer back right behind us. The O'Brien they hit they hit it and killed ten men. But uh, we were we were very fortunate. Okay. Then at uh, Dragoon. Yeah, Dragoon. Let's go to that. We were actually um, escorting. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. About 10 or 12 what we called escort aircraft carriers. They were um, like uh, cruiser hulls or, uh, I don't know, maybe some of them were livery ships, probably cruisers, that they laid a deck on. They were smaller than the normal uh, aircraft carrier, but they had about, some of them about half British and half American, and uh, so we were out there, we, we were screening those. And uh, one uh, one day we actually captured a ship. <laughs> the, uh, there was a uh, sailboat, and uh, apparently headed for North Africa or somewhere. Three three German Marines had uh, were on that sailboat trying to get away, and uh, so we captured them <laughs> and uh, put them in the brig. Interesting. Now, tell us more about the um, uh, Dragoon was going through southern France. I don't really know much about this particular military. Uh, That's kind of the unknown invasion, in a way, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that was in the plans, actually, when they, when they planned the uh, invasion of Normandy. Uh, in fact, it was supposed to take place in, uh, in uh, right after... Uh, Oh, normally it was supposed to originally have taken place in May, and uh, I'm not sure about Dragoon, but it was it was down around uh, Marseille and uh, and uh, Saint-Tropez and uh, and uh, Toulon that area, and uh, it was uh, well, it was a fairly sizable invasion, I guess, but uh, uh, it wasn't as they didn't lose near as many men as they did uh, before because the Germans were kind of weren't as gung-ho by the time they, they got in there. Okay. And when was uh, Operation Dragoon? It started on August 15th. Okay. So a couple of months after Normandy. And so there had been fighting uh, as um, up north as as they were moving into northern yes. France uh-huh. at that time. Mm-hmm. So then you must you guys must have come around and you're now in the Mediterranean right for this yes. particular uh operation. And uh-huh. did the men um go ashore on landing crafts in Operation Dragoon like they did uh, uh for Over- Overlord? Uh yeah, some of them did. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Okay, and what I, more about uh Dragoon would you like to tell us? Well, actually um I don't know as much about Dragoon as I did Normandy, because okay. uh, you know we were out there uh, and didn't actually get in closer to shore. Okay, okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. So I tell you what, uh, let's go to break. This is Kim Munson. This is the World War II Project. I'm talking with Donald Ray Cobb, a World War II veteran, and uh, just completed a book, The Lady with a Shamrock. It's about the USS Murphy, and we're going to go to break. When we come back, we'll what hear about this um, Operation Flying Carpet. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back to America's Veteran Stories with Kim Munson. I am talking with Donald Ray Cobb. He is a World War II veteran, author of the book, The Lady with a Shamrock, about the USS Murphy, a Navy destroyer. And you guys did something really unique. 
and uh, you guys said you called it Operation Flying Carpet. So let's talk, we we kind of hit on that a little bit in one of the previous segments, but to tell us when was this and and what happened exactly. That was in um, in February of 1945. In fact, uh, the, the King and the uh, and uh, President uh, Roosevelt met on uh, Valentine's Day, uh, February 14th. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, this started out, um, we escorted President Roosevelt across the Atlantic. Yeah, that's fascinating. They had to uh, divide the destroyers into three groups because the uh, President Roosevelt was on the USS Quincy, a heavy cruiser, and uh, the destroyers could not go at the speed. They were about 24 knots, I think it was. Couldn't go at that speed and, and go all the way across without refueling. So they decided to have three relays. The first one uh, started from the United States and went to uh, uh, Bahamas, I think it was. Then the second uh, uh, relay took them over to the Azores. And then we had gone on uh, across and refueled and picked them up, picked them up there and escorted him on uh, through the Mediterranean uh, actually, we dropped off. Uh, he went on. They, they, he was escorted on to Malta. We dropped off at uh, Bears El Kabir or uh, Oran, uh, the port at or, uh, Algiers, the port at Oran, and for refueling. And uh, then we went on to Malta. But uh, uh, the president uh, flew on from Malta then to the Yalta conference. And then uh, after the Yalta conference, he uh, uh, flew back to Malta. And then uh, one other uh, destroyer, there were two destroyers, uh, Murphy and uh, I forget the name of the other one. Uh, we escorted the Quincy through the Suez Canal. Uh, we were the first destroyer to go through the Suez Canal since World War One, <laughs> but uh, then we escorted them down to uh, Great Bitter Lake, Egypt, and the Quincy anchored there. And then uh, the Murphy, we went on down alone through the Red Sea to uh, well, we thought it was called Jida, the J I D D A. Now they've changed. The name to Jeddah, J E D D A H. So uh, anyway, then it was Jeddah, uh, and uh, we went into port there, and uh, we had the Commodore, Commodore, uh, uh, well, Captain uh, John Keating, uh, that later wrote uh, wrote an article about it called the Mission of Mecca, and uh, maybe that was the official name of the operation. Um, but anyway, uh, we uh, went into port, the uh, commodore and the captain, and I don't know who else went ashore, and they came back with the prime minister. We're figuring out what to do. They f- discovered that the king had arthritis and uh, some saber wounds in his legs, so he couldn't walk very well, so they had to work out a system to get him aboard ship, and uh, said he couldn't walk on steel decks, so they laid carpet in the area where he was going to be 
staying. They found a big chair, and uh, they came out with a barge with 80-some sheep on it. They were going to feed all of us, and uh, we had to uh, put a stop to that without a major incident. And uh, so they ended up, uh, they brought, uh, I believe it was eight sheep. They put a pen on the fantail of the ship, and they would uh, butcher them and hang them up there to, and uh, to feed their people, not ours. They were told that the Navy people would be illegal for us to eat. Only We had to eat our, our food for uh, nourishment and so forth. And uh, so uh, then they got that settled, and they... Uh, Got brought some canvas out and sold it over the forward gun mounts, and uh, then they were uh, the king wanted to bring a, a lot more people. Um, he was used to bringing his harem, I think, but uh, they uh, talked him into to, into eight people. Anyway, when we sailed, we had forty-eight on there plus the king, and. Uh, they had uh, they had had a reception uh, ashore for the, for the uh, American officers and to, to kind of throw suspicion off what was going to happen and uh, so the uh, king and his uh, honorars and their limousines headed like they were going to Mecca and then they came down to uh, and got on and came aboard the ship. And I uh, heard that a lot of the people thought he was being kid- kidnapped. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, we had him on board for uh, for two nights, and uh, uh, he was very congenial. And uh, the crew, uh, you know, talked as much as they could. He had had two of his sons and his brother aboard. Um, uh, Abdullah was his brother and uh, one of his brothers was Monsieur and I can't think what the name of the other one was but um, how many they, crew was they had how mo- many movies two, two different movies one for the Americans and one for the Arabs because there were certain movies they wouldn't want to watch but I heard uh, I didn't go, didn't go to any of them but I Heard that on the, <laughs> the second night that uh, that uh, the two sons uh, were were in the uh, in there watching the American movies. <laughs> but uh, Don, how many crew it was on that ship at that time? I don't know the exact number, but the official uh, average estimate was about two hundred seventy-five. Okay, two hundred seventy-five, and then you have uh, forty-eight of the king and his entourage. Now, from a security standpoint, were you guys it, or was there other boats with you to provide security, or what was that like? Uh, we were we were it. <laughs> we were alone. You were it. Yeah. Huh. And uh, this was when FDR and uh, the King met, and what was the purpose of the meeting? Well, I guess just to, uh, like, political reasons to work out relations between the two countries and so forth. Oil, I'm sure, entered into it. Oh, sure. Okay. They, they liked us, so they had uh, receptions for us, you know, later on. In fact, in 2005, uh, 
just a few months before my wife passed away, we were down in, at the Ritz-Carlton in uh, Coral Gables, Florida. We'd been invited there, and they had uh, the, the King's grandson and uh, President Roosevelt's grandson and uh, the grandson of the Marine interpreter. And uh, it was also a business meeting. They had about 100 people there. But uh, they... Uh, they had a couple of receptions for for our crew, and uh, but uh, why were you anyway, guys? We, uh, why we, would you? Why do you think the USS Murphy was chosen for that? I don't know. Um, it probably would have been better if they'd have picked a, a cruiser. They would have had more room. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> of course, they weren't expecting all those people to get on board either, were they? No, they were only <laughs> expecting about eight, I think. And there were forty-eight. Uh, and um, what in the, the barge? Were they just going to bring all these sheep along on a barge and then uh, butcher yeah, them? I don't know where they were going to put them. Actually, they got them on the ship, but uh, they had to say there were over eighty sheep. Oh my gosh! I got to think for a young kid that grew up in Kentucky, you probably thought, "What on earth is going on here?" It, so, it was amazing. <laughs> it was amazing. For sure. So, Donald, yeah, a- other stories about the uh, USS Murphy. What other stories can you share? When the war was over in the Pacific, it was uh, brought back. I came back and, uh, of course, transferred all the crew. Uh, they were all discharged, and, except the ones that stayed in the Navy. They were given different assignments. And then the, uh, the Murphy was uh, decommissioned in March of uh, 46 and, uh, and was in uh, around Charleston, uh, South Carolina. And then it was uh, sold for scrap in 1972, I think it was 70 or 72. We had reunions after the uh, so after everybody got a little older. <laughs> and started, I went to the first. The first one was in the 90s. In the meantime, uh, a man named Dan Crowell had a salvage boat up in New Jersey, and uh, they went out to dive on what they thought was a sunken merchant ship and when they got down there they discovered it was not a merchant ship and they finally figured out that it was the bow of the, of the USS Murphy they uh, ended up uh, he ended up did research and discovered what ship it was so he and his wife attended a couple of our reunions and uh, we ended up uh, we made a, a a memorial on the uh, shore in New Jersey just near opposite uh, uh, where the ship was cut in two as possible. Dan Crowell was there, and uh, later on he laid a wreath out on the, over the uh, on the water over where the uh, bow went down with the men. Of course, there were still bodies on there, so it's a grave site. One ironic thing, two of the men that lost their lives when, when the ship was cut in two were named Murphy, and... Uh, one of them had only gone on the ship two days before. And what happened? How was it cut in two? They were in a convoy on a dark night going out of New York. There was another convoy, and this uh, tanker, uh, oiler called the, US, USS, uh, the SS Bulk Oil, developed engine problems and headed back to New York. And at uh, about eight knots or something like that, <clears throat> no escort, probably scared to death, and uh, no way, no radar, just uh, something to listen for propeller noise. The Murphy uh, <clears throat> picked up the uh, blip on the radar 
and uh, they were ordered to go out and check it out and and uh, see what it was. So uh, and steer steer it away from the convoy. It was pitch black, so in the uh, and radar wasn't as good then as it is now. So in the process of uh, maneuvering around to try to see what was going on, the uh, bulk oil thought that the Murphy was a submarine, so they turned their bow to make themselves the smallest target they could. And in the process, they ran right through the middle of the of the ship and cut it in two. Okay. And how many guys did you say lost their lives then that day? Uh, Thirty-five. Well, okay. Donald Cobb, we are just about out of time. So a couple of questions. After serving our country in World War II, you've been back to Normandy, and I find it amazing. The people of Normandy, France, look to you guys like your rock stars. They still thank you for the... The, the sacrifices that, that were given to free them from Nazi tyranny. Uh, but what would you say to the young people in America today? What's the message you'd like to give to them? I would like to say to them to learn about all of this, study your history, don't let it happen again. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons why we do this show, uh, Donald, is so that we can bring these stories alive. Each of you, your story is unique. And uh, it's uh, so important that people know about them so that we can uh, appreciate our history and make sure that we don't repeat that. Another question that I like to ask is when you see the American flag, what goes through your mind? That it represents uh, freedom and liberty and uh, it should be respected. Okay, I I totally agree with you. Uh, So Donald Ray Cobb, it's been really an honor to get to talk with you today. And your book is The Lady with a Shamrock. It's about the USS Murphy. And uh, and you fought at Normandy, uh, the invasion. And just a quick question. A friend of mine challenged me when I said something about the Normandy invasion. She said, it wasn't an invasion. It was where we liberated people. So she always uh, They chanted, like to call it a liberation, yes. Is they that what they like. call it? Okay. So the liberation yeah. of southern France, Operation uh, Flying uh, carpet, and um, uh, you're going to be going back to Paris for the 75th uh, celebration of the uh, liberation of Paris. You're going to be doing that like tomorrow, right? I'll be uh, be going back tomorrow, and then on the uh, 25th, I think it is, we're going to have a black tie dinner. And I understand with the uh, President Macron. Okay, you've and been. Others. Haven't you been hugged by the President of France before, though? Did I see yes, that? <laughs> at the, uh, the Steel Day Parade, uh, the first lady came across shaking hands, and she uh, came down. There were th- three of us, three veterans. Uh, we were standing there. I thought maybe President Trump would come down that way, but he didn't. But uh, the first lady came down, and she came down to us. She said, does my uh, husband know you're here? And we said, no, I don't think so. <laughs> she said, well, I'll go get him. So uh, she walked back, back up there, and shortly he was down there. I was on the end, and uh, I had just flown in. I was and stood there 50 minutes watching the best parade I ever saw. So I was worn out. And without thinking, the president of France, I threw him up around his arm around his back to get my picture his picture made. So he threw his arm around my back, and uh, we stood there like old buddies, you know. Cobb. <laughs> no picture made. That is a, that's a great story. So, Well, Donald Ray Cobb, thank you so much for joining me for our World War II project. And, and I wish you Godspeed on your travels. Thank you. Okay, thanks so much. This is Kim Munson signing off. God bless you, and God bless America. Join us next time for America's Veteran Stories with your host, Kim Munson. Until then, keep saluting our vets.